Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. We're in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. So you open your Bibles to that text or your device, whatever is a helpful tool for you today. You know, husbands and wives have their differences, and Diane and I have our difference. One is in the area of humor. I will tell her a joke, and she politely smiles. And then I say, you don't get it, do you? And uh, no, she doesn't. And then I have to proceed to explain it to her. Well, if you have to explain a joke, it just takes away from it, right? That's it's, it's just how it is. The same thing is true with poetry. If you have to really ex- explain poetry a lot, it sort of robs the poetry of its intended beauty when it was written. Luke and I spend time studying and, and proclaiming God's message. And one of the fears we live with is that by expounding upon God's truth, we can actually rob from it. And I trust we never do it. And yet, it's, it's, it's never do we find it more, more of a fearsome kind of thing than when we come to a text like the one we're looking at here in January. This great, these great few verses out of the middle of Colossians chapter 1. Originally, they're written in a bit of a poetic form. Um, scholars suggest that perhaps uh, these words were... A, uh, ancient hymn of the early church that they sang, reminding them and telling each other of the grandness of Jesus, the beauty of who he is and his identity and his, his mission. And so uh, here we are, and I, and I want you, when you go home, I trust that you don't leave it here, that when you go home, you ponder it, you let it roll off your lips, you meditate on it, you think about it, you let it you let it be driven more deeply in your heart. That's what we want to do with all of God's word. Certainly, this text especially, because whatever we will do with it, it will be less than what the text is itself. It is it's just pregnant with all kinds of life, and uh, it needs to be taken in and valued. Now, in your uh, insert of your, of your program today, you'll see some doodling. And uh, when the proctors were here, uh, one of their daughters, Hope, who uh, loves to draw, she would listen to Luke and I preach, and she would often doodle our sermons. I don't know, because she thought it wasn't worth much, and so she thought she'd doodle through the sermon or whatever it is. But she, so, I, 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 no, I always appreciated her doing that, and uh, sometimes I would see what she doodled, how she put it in graphic form. So, I, I sent her my manuscript on Thursday morning, and I said, hey, Hope, would you doodle for us? And uh, so, she doodled, and then sent it back, and uh, this is her doodling. And so, this could be your outline today, or you can scribble your own doodles. Maybe there are fellow doodlers here that are inspired of God, and if so, go to it. Or maybe it's good scrap paper for you. Whatever it is, uh, you could use it as a tool to just review where we've been this week. However, I just find it pretty fascinating and interesting, and and maybe it's a tool for you as well. Uh, So uh, the, the summary of this text we're looking at this month basically is Jesus is Lord. Now, that's never really stated exactly that way in the text, but that's what it's saying. So the first Sunday of the year, we announced that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then last week, Luke announced that Jesus is the firstborn of creation and of the resurrection. Today, Jesus is creator. 
It's a fascinating thought that, that causes us to just uh, go other places when we contemplate him being creator. I want us to stand together right now, and we are going to read it um, responsibly on the screen and just follow along where you are to read. And then when I get done reading, let's just stand in silence for a few seconds as we contemplate what we have spoken. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, or things in heaven, shed on the cross. As we breathe you in, O Father, I pray what we exhale is the very presence of God. May we enjoy him together in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. People will ask, what is this world coming to? And I'll tell you what it's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. All things were created by him and through him and for him. And there will be a day of great climax when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We will see him. We are moving toward that great day. Now, this world is full of all kinds of rich things. This text presents Jesus as those first two things, the image of the firstborn, I'm sorry, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, the resurrection, and Jesus as creator. Three things about him. First of all, Jesus is the power of creation. For by him, all things were created. Now, this is hard to figure out because we know that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and we also know we pray to our Father in heaven in Jesus' name. We know that Jesus, when he was here ministering, he prayed to his Father in heaven. I mean, what is this? How is it that there can be Father, there can be God the Father, and then Jesus here, and then we talk about the Holy Spirit? It is, it is, a, it is a, a, a truth that just stretches us. It's hard to get our heads around it. In fact, if you're in Equip You, this week is all about the Trinity. You'll be learning more about this week in your, in your growth process. But it is, it is a hard concept to gather that they are all one in spirit and in being and in presence and in purpose, yet three distinct personalities. And the closest I can come to it is just an elementary example of people who have been married a long time. We're in our 43rd year, mar year of marriage, and just like other couples have been together a while, we, we start thinking alike. You can fill each other's in each other's blanks and complete sentences, and we start saying, so much so that we're not sure who experiences what. Like, one day I was telling somebody about my aunt who's very, very large, we'll say. And 
that I was telling this person that my, my, my Aunt Charlotte would have a piece of chicken between these two fingers, and then she'd have a roll between these two fingers, and a napkin here. And so it was bite, bite, wipe. Bite, bite, wipe. I mean, that's how it was. I was telling that, and Diana said, that's not your Aunt Charlotte. That was my Aunt Blanche. And I said, oh, was my Aunt Charlotte. We still have a disagreement on whose aunt ate that way. Maybe it's a private club. I don't know. But anyway, that's how... Sort of like that in the Godhead, I think, that they're all, they're all so one, they are, they are blended together in perfect fashion. So we think of God creating the heavens and the earth, but the Bible makes it very clear that all this was made by Jesus. That's how he's presented here. The baby of Matthew 1 is the eternal God of John 1 and the mighty God of Genesis 1. That's who he, that's who he is. John 1, 3 says, all things were made by him. Now, we have a flood of questions when it comes to this subject of creation. How did God do that? How can he create out of nothing? How could God have always existed? And what was it like when he spoke the word? Was it immediate that all this appeared? Was it over eons of time? Was it 24-hour periods? How the dinosaurs fit in? How are the waters above separated the waters below. What was that? What's it mean that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters? We have so many questions, but the Bible never gets into the how of all this. It speaks into the why. It's not about the method. It's about the meaning. Many studies will continue to be made about how it all happens, and we'll still have all kinds of questions. Only the Bible deals with the why of life. Why we're here. What's the meaning of life? No other worldview can handle that. Pantheism, for instance, ignores creation. Pantheism replaces God with the universe. Uh, it shows up, for instance, in Avengers Affinity Wars movie, when one of the uh, heroes says, uh, the universe has judged you. You asked for a prize. It told you no. That's a very pantheistic statement. Obvious one is Star Wars, let the force be with you. And I'm not saying we, don't, we shouldn't watch those movies, but it is fun to watch through a Christian worldview, a, a creation worldview, and, and learn the other worldviews and how people think and reason and how they... How how they look at the world. Secularism exploits creation. It's so evident in pop music. I mean, you listen to the lyrics of Madonna or Lady Gaga or John Mayer. They have humanistic lyrics. In my generation, John Lennon's Imagine, purely secular humanistic. Frank Sinatra's My Way is another example of that. Uh, listen to the, watch the Grammys next Sunday night, and, 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 and you will see it. Go to Spotify, and if you put in your search, secular humanism, you'll get albums that pop up that give you so many examples of secular humanistic worldview. Do not make a playlist of secular humanism music, okay? I'm just saying. It's just interesting to hear those lyrics and how, how they're tucked away way into all of this and all around us in many ways. Um, and of course, the problem with this worldview is that if you came from pond sludge, then what, who decides what's right and wrong? What is just and what is unjust? Nobody has a right to say that there is any measuring point for anything right or wrong or good and bad. It's up to an individual person. This is the real emptiness of secular humanism. Paganism worships creation. 
And we have a lot of people in our culture who look at nature that way, that nature is really everything. I've talked to people in, in my own life experience. I've had, I've had a person tell me who's an unbeliever saying, you know, I like dogs better than people. And, and that's how that person operates in life. Nature is everything. Someone wrote, unfortunately, if you regard nature as a mother, you discover that she's a stepmother. The main point of Christianity was this, that nature is not our mother, nature is our sister. We can be proud of her beauty since we have the same father, but she has no authority over us. We have to admire, but not to imitate. There's no other worldview that answers the longing of the human heart than the one that acknowledges that Jesus is creator of all that is. Just consider his power. Those who research and spend their lives in such things suggest that we have 50 billion galaxies in our universe. And that each one of those, uni each one of those galaxies contains anywhere from two to four billion stars. Now you multiply two or four billion by 50 billion and you have the number of stars in the Andromeda galaxy. And there are 50 billion of those galaxies. So you see, some, someone suggests you take like a, 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 a box or a container of salt and you pour that out, each one of those grains of salt representing a star. And you pour out 10,000 of those boxes or containers of salt. And there you have the number of stars in a galaxy. And then take, the, take, take that and multiply it by 50 billion. That's the stars. Do you know you can buy a star and have it named for you? Did you know that? You can go to star-registration.com, and for $39.90, you can have a star named for you. If you're a married couple, you can get a couple orbiting stars for $99.90 and get stars named for you. But it's a scam. Do not do that. Okay. Isaiah 40 says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. What, what a creator. Consider the male ruby-throated hummingbird. I love hummingbirds. How many have a hummingbird feeder? I mean, aren't they fascinating to look at and see? You, you, we watch for them to show up in spring, don't we? They're fascinating. Their heart, they, they weigh a little more than a penny. Their heart beats 21 times a second. And their wings, uh, their wings uh, flap 60 times a second. And these gutsy little creatures fly 2,000 miles south when they migrate and turn around later and fly 2,000 miles north. Jesus did that. He created that little bird for us. Consider... I mean, you're even, your human body. I mean, you're sitting here and you're made up of some 30 trillion cells. Some of you more than others, some less than others. And every one of those cells uh, has, has activity in them like a metropolitan area like Indianapolis with all kinds of interactions and movements all kinds of things going on. And there are little rods in those cells called chromosomes. They have genes in, in that DNA. 
And some have suggested that if you take all the information in our DNA, our roadmap of who we are, in personality, skin color, gifted, whatever it is, whatever it is on our DNA, it would take 600,000 books to put all the information in that. I can't get my head around that. There's a scientist by the name of Lewis Thomas who wrote of the beauty of the cell. If I could explain what goes on in a human cell, I would, for the rest of my life, hire a plane, fly it back and forth across the earth just to proclaim the incredible wonder of how and why a cell works. And we haven't even considered the invisible things like gravity and electricity and atmosphere and all those levels of our atmosphere and physics, all of that. How dare we ever picture God as boring? There's not one aspect of him, one moment of his existence where God is boring. Shame on us if anybody ever looks at our lives and thinks that he might be that way because we're so boring to be around. We ought to be living in such a way that we're like kids in a candy store. Maybe you ought to hang out at Perry Crossing this week, go to the candy store and just watch kids come in there and go crazy. That's how we should be living. You know, be fascinating by, but fascinated by all, let, let, it, let all this capture you. Let it capture you. Second, Jesus is the preserver of creation. Verse 17 says, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the principle of cohesion. He is the glue that holds it all together. It's why there's cosmos and not chaos. We speak of natural law. But all about this physical world, it's all about Jesus' laws, and nature submits to those laws. He holds all things together. There's a, uh, a, a Christian scientist by the name of John Poltinghorn, and he, he pictures this master control board, and it's got hundreds of knobs, uh, uh, electromagnetism and gravity and speed of light and speed of sound and uh, the placement of all the stars in the universe, the placement of the sun, the revolution of the earth, and everything that has to do, every law of physics, everything. And it's all perfectly tuned to sustain life. And he says, if one of those knobs is out of place, life cannot happen here. It all has to work together perfectly. Now, if you want and equip you, you've learned the word this week, anthropic, one of the arguments for the existence of God, that not only is the evidence of the physical world, but it sustains life as it is. That's the anthropic um, argument that there is a God, a master designer behind all of this, a great powerful benefactor of all, all that is good, and he blesses us with all these things that are good. You know, two, two Two men who have deeply impacted secularistic thinking uh, in our age are two men who've lived the last couple hundred years. David Hume, who was an agnostic, and uh, Bertrand Russell, a very uh, popular atheist of the 1900s. He died in 1970. Uh, both of them British-born. And uh, Hume was an agnostic. And by the way, you remember our first week, we talked, and last week Luke also talked about uh, Gnosticism. It was a growing heresy in the Colossian area 
Uh, it wasn't full-blown yet, but the seeds were there. That The mystery language had to be learned in order to know God. They also believed that Jesus was an emanation out of God, not equal to God. And they also believed that all matter was evil and all, all spirit is good. As a false teaching, a heresy that grew into Gnosticism, where the root is to know. So an agnostic is agnostic. And agnostic says that you can't know if God exists. That's where we get the term agnostic, comes from this Gnosticism. That's the root. Um, An atheist, of course, believes God doesn't exist. Both of those positions, understand, are are positions of faith. You, You say that on faith. We believe in God based on faith, but we have a plethora of evidence that God does exist, that there is a master designer. The agnostic, the atheist, has nothing to build itself on. There is no evidence. And so, why I'm bringing these two guys up, Hume and uh, Russell both admitted that they were puzzled by the orderliness of all that exists. They didn't have an answer for that. It didn't make sense that water would freeze at 32 degrees, and that would be a rule true tomorrow also. They didn't understand you know, how a rock would pay, weigh two pounds today, and it's going to weigh two pounds a year from now. That, 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 that law stays in place. They didn't understand that. But everybody lives that way. Pe- millions of people today are flying throughout the world, and they step onto a jet believing that the laws of aerodynamics are going to stay in place for them on their way to their destination. That is a statement of belief in these, these, this cohesiveness of all that is. These two guys were puzzled by that. We're not, because we know Jesus is the glue that holds it all together. Garrison Keillor was a humanist, and he told great stories. We loved his stories about Lake Wobegon, you know, and he's a funny, interesting on the circuit, and he's gotten into, you know, his reputation hasn't done so well the last few years. But, but he, he just believed that emotions, even the emotions we experience, they're only conditioned emotions. You know, you smell grandma's cookies, and a tear comes to the eye. She's been gone a while, and boy, there's those molasses cookies. And, oh, my grandma. And you get a tear, you know. Or you smell something, and it evokes an emotion. Or you hear music, and it moves you. That there's this little, this little place of our brain called the amygdala, 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 kind of the center of our emotional processes. And then he said, you know, that's just the conditioning that makes us respond that way. That's all it is. That's all we are. We're just conditioned responses to life. Sad for a person to live that way. And we don't even have time to go into the moral order of the universe why, why is there right and wrong? Why, why, is, why, why, why does, do people have a sense that something is right or something is wrong? The scripture says that the law of God is written on our hearts. Not everything about God is written there. Not everything about truth is written there. But there's a sense about that. There's a moral order. There's a cohesiveness, a glue that holds it together. He's the preserver of the created world. And third, Jesus is the purpose of creation as well. The text says, for by him... All things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. It's all for him. This word, Greek word for, ice, means in a direction to. It's, a direct, that, that's, it's for him. We're moving the direction toward full praise to God. We do not believe in a secular, I'm, I'm sorry, a circular worldview of things. You know, that's Eastern thought. 
that if your karma, if you got bad karma, you could come back as a, a cockroach. You know, if you have really good karma, you may be lucky enough to come back as a cow or something, and then we won't eat you because it might be your grandmother or something like that. Uh, we don't believe that life is circular. We believe it's linear. That's a moving toward a great climax, a, a great fulfillment when every eye will see the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, in a little bit, we're going to sing uh, a, a song we love to sing. The words are fascinating, written by Joel Houston with his song, uh, So Will I. And they're words that just grip us. We love those words. But some have paused because the word evolves is in there. It's speaking about creation. And some have went, you know, our little antennas go alert, on alert. Well, what's that about? So we're going to sing these words. A hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. Now, to literally evolve means to unroll. Uh, and and we, we kind of limit it to the idea that we have evolved out of a lesser created thing. Joel Houston is, is, is questioned about that. I mean, he, lots of people have questioned his use of that word, but he assures people, I believe that God spoke the word and, and matter came into being. He believes that, that we were created from the dust of the ground. He believes, like I would and you would, that there is, there is micro-evolution within a species. But his whole point in those lyrics are that we are all continuing moving as we get to know God. We're moving toward, and we desire that all creation continues moving toward the worship of God. So when we sing that, so what's this talking about? We anticipate all of creation continuing to praise God and even the aspects of creation that don't, including people that will continue to join with us in the worship of God. That's what we're doing because he alone is worthy, worthy of that. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, Revelation says. We pray in the model prayer, Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, whatever your presence is like, whatever being in your presence is like, that's what we want here. That's why, friends, some of you are going to Mexico in February on a medical trip. What are you doing there? You're addressing physical needs, but you are also loving that person that you're going to be blessing. Some of you are preparing to go to, to, to work with um, Native Americans later in the year. Your whole family is going to go. Why are you doing that? You're, you're going to address the whole person, loving people, taking care of physical needs. Um, Ghana Christian Mission puts up medical clinics in villages, remote villages to love people. Community health evangelism is used by many mission organizations to go into a, a, a uh, a place and love people, address, uh, um, uh, dig wells for them so they'll have good water, address medical needs, community health, whatever that looks like in the context of Christian love presenting Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why we get involved in communities. That's why you get involved in schools that your kids go to. Why? You want the school to be better. Why do you get involved in, in Rotary Club or uh, uh, Optimus Club or the other clubs of a, of a community? Because it's about making a community better. That's what Christian people do. 
We get involved. We build relationships with people. We want our lives to count. We want them to mean something because, because we know the Lord is coming back and we want, it, we want it, the whole earth to be, we're on our way redeeming the world in his name. That's what we're doing. We are representing Jesus Christ because he's looking forward to full redemption someday. Now, finally, three. What, what, what does all this mean for us practically? Let me give you three things to take with you. First of all, let his creation thrill you. Have you gotten boring? Are you a boring person to hang around with? Nobody wants to hang around with you because you said, blah. There is no way, no reason a believer should ever be boring. We should be the best people to hang around with. Because in everything we experience, we see something bigger. We see something great. We, there's no reason to ever be blasé or bored about anything. Have you, have you failed to be stunned by anything lately? Paul wrote to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to so love this created world, not as the end. There's, another, there's an end we're looking forward to, but the journey. He wants us to enjoy this journey with all its challenges, it's all its hardships along the way. Peggy Noonan in the Wall Street Journal at the beginning of the year wrote her editorial, and uh, it, was, it was a great editorial. about. Uh, but she starts her editorial by talking about watching a, a Late Night with Dave Letterman. Years ago, back in the early 2000s, uh, she was watching Dave Letterman. She thinks about this every new year. She says, uh, on there, Dave was interviewing uh, this guy, Warren uh, Zevon, or Zevon, Zevon. I didn't really know him, uh, so I looked him up. And you can see the interview on YouTube. But this guy is on, he looks great. He's on Dave, Dave's interviewing him. And he's dying of mesothelioma. And uh, he seems well, he seems fine, but he's dying. And Dave says to him something like, uh, well, you must be learning something. I mean, what do you know that I don't know? And Zivon responded, well, I know I'm supposed to love a good sandwich. What was he saying? He was saying, don't miss the moment. You know, if you're going to have a good lunch today, savor it. God gave you the, ta the gift of taste. If you smell something that captures you, give it a moment and enjoy that aroma. If, if, if you're watching your kid or your grandkid and they make you laugh, or they do something that's poignant, Take it in. It's rich. Don't miss the moments. Maybe you drive home from work, you see the sunset, you need to pull over and take a picture of it, send it to somebody. Look, look what God just showed me. You know? Value every day that God gives you breath. Let's learn to be thrilled at creation. Second, let his power hold you. Let his power hold you. You know, if, if he doesn't hold you, what happens is you end up in chaos. And I've been so blessed by people in this church who, who, whose families I've been with during the week and I've, I, I've led funerals for their spouses or their parents or their child, their baby. And they're sitting here in worship on Sunday. Why? Because Christ is holding them together and they're not in chaos. They're in cosmos. There's orderliness in their lives because there's someone greater than them who's the glue of their lives. 
Is that who Jesus is for you? When he is, it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what message happens. It doesn't matter what hardship. It doesn't matter what you're facing, what's coming against you, what you're fearing, what you're doubting. If Jesus is your Lord, he will hold you together through it all. Know that. And let his cross redeem you. We don't have time to talk about it, but verses 19 and 20 read, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The very one who created the trees we enjoy, even their bareness of winter, there's a certain beauty to them, aren't there? Against the dark sky, there's a certain beauty. And the one who created those trees died on the tree that he created. And the very one who created the oceans, the rivers, the streams that we enjoy, the fountains, is the very one who said, I thirst from the cross as he suffered. The very one who created the sun and hung it there was on that tree, thirsty, suffering under its blistering heat because of our rebellion, because of our sin, our disobedience. That's who Jesus is. On the cross, we have the intertwining of, of death and deity. Our, our end, death, but deity. And there, God took on our sins so that we may have life, have abundant life to enjoy here, and even a greater life yet to come when, when we're with the Lord forever and ever. Sometimes a person will say to somebody when they're dying, a doctor may say, have you made peace with God? One lady was asked that and she said, no, I didn't have to. Jesus already made peace on my behalf when he died on the cross. That's who he is. He is the, the, he is the, he is the ultimate peacemaker. And when he comes to your life, all the walls come down, the primary one between us and God. And in relationships and all the things we deal with, he breaks down all the walls so we may have wholeness in our lives. I trust you have that peace with God, but if you don't, please do not linger long. And you look, up, look for Luke or me or somebody else you know who loves the Lord and let them walk with you to the cross of Christ and know his redemption. And when you know him personally as your creator, the one who fearfully and wonderfully made you, who lost you because of sin, and then bought you back, oh man, that's real living. Jesus is Lord. And so we're going to hold a little piece of bread and a little juice. You know what? You know, he made that. He made the bread that we're going to eat. He made the grapes out of which the juice came that we're going to drink. We're going to take him in. And we're going to celebrate what has happened to us. We have been born again by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world, your one and only begotten Son, full of grace and truth, that we may live. So today, Father, we celebrate the life we have as we taste this bread and juice, as we smell the aroma of the fruit of the vine, 
as we feel the texture on our tongues, the bread in our hands, as we take it in, Father, it all points to this masterful person, Jesus Christ, the creator of all that is, who is broken, that we might have life. And so we thank you, and we honor you in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.